You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Greetings and welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for taking time out to listen to this episode of the podcast. I am recording from my home in the beautiful metropolis of Orlando, Florida, and super excited to have you listening today. This is episode 220, 220. I can't believe it. It feels like just yesterday I was at episode two, and now here we are at 2220. And in this episode, we're going to dive into an interview uh, with a woman by the name of Courtney Rysick. You may be familiar with her. I had her on a previous episode uh, several months back. That she was in episode 172. Great interview. Highly encourage anyone to go back and listen to that. In that episode, we talked about uh, her previous book called The Accidental Feminist. We really talked about the idea that there are many evangelical Christians that have allowed kind of the modern uh, feminist movement to creep into their mind and they don't even realize it. That rather than, than sticking to biblical values, they've actually been more in influenced by modern or postmodern feminism, and, and many Christians don't even understand uh, why that's important or how that's happened and how to how to combat that in a in a gospel-centric and Christ-honoring way. Courtney did a great job of the interview, and, and I have since again a chance to, to, to read chunks of the book. I would highly encourage you to go check that out. Again, that was episode 172. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about her newest book called Glory in the Ordinary, another a book coming out in uh, in uh, in partnership with the Gospel Coalition, and uh, in this book, um, C- Courtney really dives into the idea of of uh, of the fact that everything we do can glorify God, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem. Um, now, there's lots of books out there that are written for mothers and for stay-at-home moms um, and, and women, and this book is is geared toward that audience, no doubt. But I would challenge everyone to listen to this. Um, if you are a, a woman that's not married, I think there's some great value in what Courtney's going to share. Um, if you are a stay-at-home mom at current time or, or, or wife or mother, this obviously speaks to right where you are. And then if you're a dude, even if you're not going to ever be a mom because uh, you're a man, um, I still think there's great value in getting the getting a female perspective on some of the things that maybe women will grapple through. So a lot of women will feel guilty for not being good enough mom or good enough wife or, or to feel like their work is not as not, not really uh, not very glorifying to God. It's like, well, the people who work outside of the home, they do stuff for God and we're just at home taking care of the kids and, and it's not as important. That's how people feel, but that's not true. Courtney makes the point that it is extremely important and extremely valuable to be a great wife, a great stay-at-home mom, a great mom in general, and how there is great opportunities to glorify God in profound ways, even in small, little, seemingly insignificant, seemingly ordinary things. Uh, I think uh, I think Courtney does a great job of really helping us see how there is glory in the ordinary, how we can how we can infuse Christ into every facet of our lives, even when they seem ordinary. And so I, I am really, really excited uh, to bring this interview to you. Uh, I have not had many guests where I've brought back on the show, uh, but she is one of the ones. She really fantastic interview. I think you guys really get a lot out of this. So without further ado, my interview with Courtney Rysick. We are on the line with Courtney Rysick from the great metropolis of Little Rock, Arkansas. Courtney, how are you feeling today? I feel good. Thank you so much for, for joining the show again. You know, I haven't had many repeat guests, but you are you are one of the few. How do you feel about that? I feel really honored. Thank you. Uh, well, super excited to have you uh, back on. Uh, last time we talked about your previous book, uh, The Accidental Feminist. 
Um, I've got some great, great feedback from several people in the audience. Uh, did get one one email, one hate mail. That's exciting. Uh, but other than that, uh, great, great feedback. Um, so I'd love to love to hear from you about your new book. Uh, it's called Glory in the Ordinary. And tell me, uh, what is this book about and why did you write it? Yeah, my, my next book, uh, the subtitle of it is Why Your Work in the Home Matters to God. And so it's a, uh, if, if your listeners are familiar with the Gospel Coalition, it's pu- it's going to be published in partnership with um, the Gospel Coalition and Crossway. So one of the uh, initiatives of the Gospel Coalition is, is to help equip churches um, to understand how uh, our faith impacts our work. And so how our work is valuable to God, how our work is, is good. And so it's a it's a book in that line on um, on faith and work. It essentially I saw a need for it because there's a lot of, of there's a lot of books out there for moms. There's a lot of books out there for stay at home moms. There's a lot of books out there on motherhood. And I will be the first to say that that is not um, I'm not going to tell someone how to be a good mother primarily because my children are really small <laughs> and so they're really young still, and so I don't feel in any way equipped to speak into that. I feel more um, in need of advice than I feel um, the need to dish advice. But the book is taking a lot of the helpful things that are out there on faith and work. So Tim Keller's written a helpful book called Every Good Endeavor. Greg Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger have written a book called The Gospel at Work. Tom Nelson wrote a book called Work Matters. So they take all of the the biblical truths of work, why, why we're called to work, why work is good, why work is valuable, and applies it to the work of the home. Mm. So as I read a lot of those books, um, I've been very helped by them in thinking about work. I had a very poor understanding of work prior um, and probably in, in in the last five years, the Lord's really changed my understanding of the value and dignity of all work. But I thought if I wasn't doing something valuable and good for the Lord, then my work didn't didn't matter. And so I worked in a in a desk job in a cubicle when my husband was finishing seminary, and I pined for something that mattered. And I was unfaithful in that work. And so I have been trying to understand why work matters, um, regardless of what you're doing. And as I read these books, I saw that there, you can, I could give it to someone who does the work of the home. I could give it to a mom, but I would have to say, find how your work matters in this book. They didn't always speak directly to the work of the home. There, there may be snippets of it, but I wanted to show how, how, unpaid work, specifically the work of the home, is a vital contribution to society and is also um, brings glo- brings glory to God. Man, I absolutely, absolutely love, love, love everything uh, you've just said. Um, I- I've read some of the same uh, excerpts from, from the Keller book and really just coming to, coming to the understanding that all work is glory to God. And, mm-hmm. and that I have the ability to bring glory to God or to rob him of glory in any mm-hmm. or in, in any work, no matter how, quote unquote, ordinary it may seem. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's no doubt, you know, in the in the society in which we live, the contemporary society that sort of has a, uh, a, a certain ideology that that work in the home is no doubt uh, very diminished or uh, is, mm-hmm. is looked down upon in, in some ways by some people. Um 
and, and, and I think I understand some of the reasons. But So just kind of listening to your story, knowing a little bit about you, you've kind of come a long way from your career days. And I know that at one point in your life you even said that you, you would never want to be a stay-at-home mom. You know, what, what are some of the things that maybe led you to this, this kind of evolution of thinking? What's, what's changed your mind? I think I – it was kind of in, in kind of like the chicken before the egg thing. I, I don't think I had a, a theology of, of, of the value of all work prior to choosing to stay home. I, I think I did it in a lot of ways because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. And I didn't really want to, um, I didn't want to work when I had small children. And so I didn't really, but I didn't really understand what my work, how my work mattered. Mm. I knew the kids mattered. I knew that being with them mattered. I didn't want to put them in daycare if I didn't have to. I, um, but I just kind of did it because that's what you do. And which I think is never the reason to do something. Um, I, I just did it because that was just the next thing I was supposed to do. In a lot of ways, I have twins. Who are my, my first children were twins, are twins. And so there were, there was, it just seemed inconceivable to me to do any, to, to leave them. They were premature. There was a lot of issues. And so um, I just knew I would stay home. But I think the Lord has, as I had to come to terms with the ordinariness of my days, which everyone has ordinary days. Um, the work of the home is ordinary. You do a lot of the same things over and over and over again. And as I had to come to terms with that, the Lord really helped me to see how what I'm doing has value. Uh, and not just in the, um, that I'm raising children to, to go out into the world, but that I'm also making a home for people who come into it. So it's my husband, it's the people who, who come into our home through hospitality, it's people who visit, it's my neighbors, it's, it's everybody. And that I'm contributing to the world through my unpaid work, but it still works. So I had to kind of, it's kind of been an evolution and in a lot of ways writing is a process uh, for me to learn and think through those things. And so it's been an evolution of how I've come to see the work as valuable and not just something I did out of duty because that's what you do when you're a Christian is you stay home with your children, which I don't necessarily think is always the case. But um, the Lord helped me to see that he's called me to this right now and that this is good work and and it's it's a contribution to the world that he's made. This is this is a really great thought. You've said a few things that I really want to highlight. I don't want anyone to miss because they're really, really good stuff. I love that you just were honest, by the way, and I appreciate that. Just to say, you know, maybe in theory we would love to come to the epiphany, have the have the right theological paradigm shift, right? We, we, we have that first, mm-hmm. and then our actions kind of follow out of the mm-hmm. good theology. But what I hear mm-hmm. you saying is, you actually did the opposite. You kind of just did something, not necessarily out of flowing out of good theology, but through the process, you've kind of come to a, a better understanding. Uh, and that that is that is true for many of us. We probably often start something not flowing out of a really with a desire to glorify God in all we do, but but really because we're supposed to, or we feel like we're supposed to. We feel obligated. Absolutely. Um, but even in that, God is gracious, and He uses that providentially mm-hmm. to, to to bring about the the proper paradigm shift. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I also love something you just said that that I really kind of just want to press into for just a moment, and that's the idea that so often we do things just because we feel like we're supposed to. You said, "Yeah, I I, I was going to stay home and be you know take care of my kids when they were little because I felt like that's what you're supposed to do when mm-hmm. you're a Christian." And I think I've 
you know, having been a youth pastor and now working toward becoming a lead pastor, I've, I've, I've had lots of conversations with people in my life where I feel, I feel like I sense that, where I feel like I've got young women in our church that basically sort of feel like they're, they're supposed to, or they're obligated to stay home. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Or what, where do you think that comes from? I think it's a couple of things. I think one is in in our Christian in our Christian subculture, we are we're always kind of swinging on a pendulum. So the world, the, the broader culture, doesn't value children, doesn't value the work of the home, doesn't value the family. And so what we do is we elevate things that the world doesn't value, almost to the point of idolatry, and saying that this is the best thing you could ever do with your life. And so we don't provide um, without the theological framework for it. So we're not providing the reasons why it's good work or why it matters. We're just saying this is this is this is what the Bible says you're supposed to do, and this is what the best thing you could ever do. So we're just responding on this pendulum because we want to show that we value those things more than the world does. And so I think the intentions are good. I just think the response is always is often unhelpful. Um, and so we're not um, providing a, a better, an, a more robust theological understanding of work as a whole and, and seeing how the work of the home kind of fits into that as, as one other aspect of work. Uh, I think another thing is, is in some ways a, a byproduct of a 1950s like cultural stereotype of this is what women do and this is what men do. And so, because women biologically have children, can have children, men cannot have children. Um, I don't even know if science would ever be able to do that. Um, we, we've elevated that because you biologically can do this. This is the best thing you could ever do. And I, I, I'm glad I'm a mother. I'm glad I stay home. I, I, I have no aspirations to do something else right now. Um, but we, we need to have a broader framework for thinking about work as a whole. And so we need to be helping our young people see that work is is a byproduct of being created as an image bearer. And so we are all created for work. And we were all created for multiple aspects of work. And so we were created to do the work of the home. But sometimes I'm also a writer. So I was created to, to write. I, I image God through that. I image God through the work of the home. I image God by being a mother and a wife and a church member and um, leading a Bible study at my church is another aspect of my work. And so helping women see that there are multifaceted aspects to their work without diminishing this very real biological and maternal component that God has called them to, um, that, that the, the world as a whole doesn't value. So I think we just need a more robust understanding that doesn't require us to just swing the pendulum so far that we diminish other aspects of work. Uh, Courtney, I think you just articulated that uh, absolutely perfectly, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you're saying this. I think this would be helpful for so many young women. Um, in fact, as a when I was youth pastor, I wish I had had your book that I could hand to the 17, 18-year-old girls and really challenge them to have a, a better, robust theological understanding and not feel obligated. It's really, 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 really good wisdom you shared. Um, now, 
I, I, let me just switch gears momentarily. Um, I, I've seen a lot of some of your postings on social media, Facebook particularly, and I know a little bit about your story. And it, it's, it's, it sounds to me like your husband uh, is a huge encouragement to you in a lot of ways. And, and I want to sort of challenge the men listening to this. And, uh, and I, I, I unashamedly challenge men in my life on a regular basis. So I think mm-hmm. it'd be important for you to hear, for them to hear from you a little bit. Um, what are some of the things that your husband has done for you that you think is valuable that you would encourage all men to do? I love this question because he is, he's, um, he is my greatest encourager. He is so helpful. It makes, it makes me cry talking about him, but, um, he doesn't reduce who I am to one aspect of who I am. So he sees me as a whole person and, I think so often in our Christian subculture, we can, we, because, and, I, and I'm a complementarian, so I believe in these things, but we say that the husband leads and the wife submits, or the husband provides and the wife stays home, and we reduce people to these, these stereotypes of them only being those things, and human beings are so multifaceted, and they're given so many different interests and, and, and abilities and gifts and callings. And I think he gets that. He gets that. He, my husband is um is a businessman, but he's also an elder in our church. Um, but he's also a father, and he's also a son, and he's also a friend. And so he's all of those things, and he's never reduced to one of those things. And yes, he's our primary provider, but he's also a whole host of other things. Um, and he sees me in that way. So I am the primary provider of the care for our children and the upkeep of our home and but he also sees me as a writer and as a um, bible teacher and as a a friend and he provides opportunities for me to do those things in the same way that I provide opportunities for him to do those other things um, but one of the other things I think that is huge in how he encourages me and and, and equips me um, to be a multifaceted person is that he sees the work of the home as as part of his calling as well, and so I see the work of the home in and while my book is geared towards women because I think women are the ones who are primarily doing that work, um, husbands do the work as well, and he doesn't do it in the in the same. We're, we're not fifty fifty, obviously. And in, in how how we divide the labor, but he he's an involved father. He cares about um, the the our home, and he cares about um, hospitality as every elder should care about hospitality. And so, Absolutely. even within Scripture, we see these these this. It's not a men do this and women do this. In scripture, the qualifications for elders are not just that they teach and that they lead. It's that they are hospitable. It's that they're gentle. It's that they're kind. It's that they're, there's, and, and even in scripture, when you see the aspects of who God is, he is, he is maternal um, in how he cares for his people, but he's also father. That's how he identifies himself. So he, my husband gets that. He gets that the work of the home is, um, is, is while I primarily am the one doing it, it's for all of us. And so he takes on those things and he values those things and he cares for our children and he cares for our home and he does it differently than I do it. Um, but he does it. And I think that a lot of husbands, especially in a conservative, um, Christian subculture that, that I'm in and that a lot of maybe your listeners are in, we have polarized what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and, for fear of being egalitarian. And I think that we can embrace 
the um, kind of melding of the of the arbitrary gender lines um, and, and, and allow people to be whole people um, while also still holding on to the distinctions of what it means to be a man or a woman. And so I think he gets that and it's really helpful to me. I, I absolutely love that. Your husband sounds like he is a fantastic human. I mean, uh, he is. really, really cool. Um, and, and I would challenge all the men. Listen, I think this is a, a, a valuable challenge to, to all of us, myself included, um, uh, to understand this. I recently had a mini argument, uh, sidetrack, rabbit trail here for you. I had a mini argument with someone um, about some of the roles of women in church. And I, I said some things that I thought, I would be perfectly okay with women doing, and I thought, not only am I okay with it, I want to encourage it, and mm-hmm. um, and, and I won't say the name of the church uh, this person's a part of. It's a relatively known church that a lot of our listeners would know about, and the person said to me, I thought you were complementarian. That's so liberal of you to say that, and, um, and I thought to myself, it, it became obvious to me that we've taken complementarianism, which I hold mm-hmm. to as you do. Um, mm-hmm. But but we've allowed that to to now box people in, and as you said, to kind of ignore the fact that they are multifaceted. Um, mm-hmm. And what I see sometimes in our churches is not complementarianism, but really chauvinism. And um, absolutely, and I'm not afraid to call it out. And I just think it's silly. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a whole other topic for a different episode, though. One day, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's um, an important one, though. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think what, what you just said, and I've, ch- and I've said this in previous episodes, um, it, when, when I, I did a whole series on on complementarianism and egalitarianism and part of, your, of the previous interview we did. Um, I did several interview, several episodes on that topic, and, and I challenged the men that, that, that strong male leadership, me, um, one of the byproducts of it ought to be that the women in your life are flourishing in, in their mm-hmm. gifts and are glorifying God to the maximum of their potential because mm-hmm. of the men in their life. And I, I challenge that to men on a regular basis. Uh, so that, I, th- I thought what you just said is awesome and mazel tough to your husband because he is clearly, <laughs> he's clearly demonstrating that. Um, so our, our time is winding down here. And um, I, I want to ask you two other questions. Both of these could t- probably take an hour themselves, but maybe just sure. more briefly. Um, we, live in a, we live in a unique culture for those of us in North America. We live in a culture that is a rapidly uh, embracing uh, 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 not just a, a ref- it's not just a refusal to embrace gender uniqueness, but it's this hostility toward gender uniqueness, this hostility uh, toward anything that would be considered conservative, conservative ideology or, or, con- or, or something that would be equated with complementarianism. Um, for those of us who hold to what, what, what many people in the world would say is a more conservative view, um, mm-hmm. how do we engage in conversations and, and, I'm asking you off the top of your head. So you're shooting from the hip here, and I know that might not, this is not, this is not an easy question to answer. Um, how do we engage in these conversations without being hostile? Or what are some tips you might give as we engage in conversations? People are hostile toward some of the things you're going to say, some of the things you've said in your previous book, some of the things you're saying in this book, some of the things you've said in this interview. There's a segment of the population that is hostile toward this. How do we as Christians who want to glorify God, uh, how do we engage in these conversations in a winsome and Christ-honoring way? I think our first model, our primary model that we look to in our ability for doing any of this is to look to Christ. And so no one faced more hostility in his culture in present day than Christ did. And he was killed for saying he was the Messiah. So we are going to face opposition because we follow him. That's just a given. But he, he appropriately answered his critics. He appropriately loved those who persecuted him. 
And um, so I think he's our model, is that he was never... Um, was never more harsh than he needed to be. He was never more um, grace-filled than he needed to be. And so that's going to be hard for us as fallen, sinful human beings to, to do that. But the, I think the model of Scripture, when you, I've been reading through the New Testament this, this, um, this year, and you see repeatedly in the epistles this reminder of living peaceably with all, this reminder of, of, of having gentleness with all, of trying trying to live in such a way that that you are not in direct opposition and divisive in a way that doesn't need to be. So the the truth is going to be divisive. The gospel is going to be divisive. The words that we say, the way that we live, the things that we hold to is going to be divisive. That's that's a given. But that we in our demeanor, in our tone, in our actions must never be divisive. We must never be trying to um, divide where their division is not necessary and speaking harshly where harshness is not necessary necessary so we you can see this even when um um i I see with my my husband's work he works in a secular environment and people people notice a difference in him he is he's not he's not out evangelizing his employees he's not out evangelizing his customers um but he is different and people notice that. And so we are called to a different way of living um, that is hard at times because our natural human response when someone is is opposed to us is to oppose them back and to, to speak harshly and to be um, m- mad at them. But we have to remember that we are following a savior who faced the greatest harshness and the greatest persecution and that um, we are, are called to respond with the same level of gentleness and sacrifice and, and, and care and love for people who hate us all in the hopes that they come to Christ. So we don't ever want to make an, make the gospel more offensive than it needs to be by our actions. That is absolutely perfect. I love the reminder that ultimately we have an example, someone who's gone before us who faced way more hostility than we could ever imagine and, and handled it with perfect grace and love. I, I love what y'all said. The gospel in itself is divisive. We don't necessarily, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to add to that in our own tones. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a relative, a celebrity pastor, I use that term loosely. Uh, I heard a relatively well-known pastor once say, uh, the gospel by itself is offensive. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't feel the need to, um, I don't want, I don't want to do anything else that's going to be offended. If people are going to be offended by me, I want them to be offended by the truth that they need to say. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've learned by as I correspond with my guests um, that a chunk of our audience are stay-at-home moms. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'd love to speak to them directly uh, for a moment. Uh, I, I love this. You know, I, I love the, the, the great questions and correspondence I get with them on a regular basis. Um, I, I know there's a lot of stay-at-home moms out there that have told me they feel guilty because they don't, they don't clean their house enough or they, they feel like they're failing mm-hmm. or they don't do enough or, you know, what, for whatever guilt they might be feeling for whatever purpose. Mm-hmm. What advice might you have to the stay-at-home moms listening to this or are feeling guilty because they feel like they're failing in some way or another? Oh, this is, this is the story of my life. So I, and I have a whole chapter in the book devoted to, to this very, the very feeling it's called, am I getting fired? Because you constantly feel like you're never doing enough. Um, in some ways I think we're doing it because we're trying to justify our existence of staying home. We don't have tangible. So if you worked in the workforce before you stayed home, 
you sometimes had the often had tangible examples and reminders that you were meeting your goals, that you were doing things that that matter, that you were you were doing something. You had some return on your investment in your work, and the work of the home doesn't always have that return on the investment. So you might get to the end of the day. This happened. I have. Um, I have three children. Um, I have t- four-year-old twins. They just turned four, and I have a twenty-month-old, and they're all boys. And I'm pregnant with my fourth. And so I get that they, you get to the end of the day, and you have nothing tangibly to show for what you did with what, during the day. So you might you sit on the couch, and they're all in bed, and you think I, I'm trying to recount what I did today, and I feel guilty because I can't remember what I did today because I feel like I didn't do anything today. <laughs> and but you did, and you have to remember that. Um, Jesus talks about loving our neighbor, and we have to remember that our neighbor is sometimes only three feet tall. And so if you loved your neighbor today, if you cared for your child today, and they didn't die today, (laughs) you're doing something. You're doing something that has eternal value. Um, And we just have to remember that the world's standard of productivity and the world's standard of getting things done or accomplishing our to-do list is is not God's standard. God's standard is faithfulness. And sometimes faithfulness means taking a nap when they take a nap. Sometimes faithfulness means mopping your floors. And that ebbs and flows with the seasons of your life. And I am going to be the first to say that I'm still learning what this looks like, but I I have to constantly remind myself at the end of the day that um, I am doing work that is contribution, that I'm not going to see the return on this investment someday until um, my children are older, and someday I might not see the return on the investment until I'm in heaven, but it matters. It's, it's good work. It is, it is shaping a generation of people. It is caring for our home. It is, it is loving our neighbors, whoever they, they may be, whether they're guests coming into our home, whether they're um, church members, whether they are our husbands or our children, other family members, that we don't need to feel guilty. We don't. We also need to learn, another thing I talk about, in the, and I'll hurry with this, but um, another thing I talk about in the chapter is that we need to learn to distinguish between false guilt and godly guilt. And so I, John Piper talks about this a lot with um, f- false guilt is guilt over something that is not sinful. Um, and godly guilt is guilt over something that is sinful and that mm. leads to repentance. And so often our feelings of guilt in our work have nothing to do with sin and everything to do with trying to measure up to a standard that is is impossible to meet or the standard of the person next to us or the other mom at the playground. And so we need to learn to live in light of um, what is true and what is right. And so faithfulness is our standard, not, not, um, not unrealistic expectations. Absolutely love it. Uh, There's no way in the world I could have said anything close to that. You articulated it perfectly. I, I love <laughs> it's so really good. And so I want to encourage all the stay-at-home moms out there. Um, it, man, this is great work. It is glory to God in the ordinary. Um, I'll finish with this. I had a conversation with uh, with one of my colleagues this morning, um, and and she asked me a question: Why do you do this? Or why you know she she was basically praising me for something I do on a regular basis. And I said to my mm-hmm. and I literally said to her, it actually. I actually didn't learn. I, I learned this from my mom when I was a kid. I, mm-hmm. I, I, as far as I can remember, I did these things really well, and it's not because of me. It is because my mom impacted my life, and mm-hmm. I, and I, I and it, going into this into this interview with you today made me. Rem, it just helped me to remember uh, all of the opportunities that so many stay moms have to not only shape humans, but bigger than that, to glorify God through all of the work that you have before mm-hmm. you. 
Courtney, thank you so much for uh, thank for, you for inspiring our audience. Uh, tell us uh, when's the book coming out and how can people get a hold of it? It releases April thirtieth, and you can pre-order it on now. Um, if if, this, if you're listening to it before April thirtieth, you can pre-order it on Amazon, um, and you can get it on Crossway's website. You can get it on um, probably wherever books are sold to so Lifeway, Mardell. Barnes and Noble. So it will be out April 30th. Great. April 30th, Crossway. And the book is Glory in the Ordinary. Uh, Courtney Reisick, thank you so much for spending time with us today, investing in the audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And there you have it, my interview with Courtney Rysick. Loved having her back on the show. Loved her content. Uh, loved that she was able to speak to both men and women. I thought some of that content was valuable for both. I thought the content was valuable for both uh, stay-at-home moms and working moms, uh, single, married, all of the above. So really, really enjoyed that. Hope that was valuable for you. Uh, if the content resonated with you, I want to encourage you to get a copy of the book. Head on over to Amazon or wherever books are sold. Get a copy of that. Or you can head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for this episode, episode 220. And there, there'll be a link you can click on that'll take you over to the, uh, to the page where you can get a copy of the book. Again, Glory in the Ordinary. Love, uh, love the idea that God can be glorified even in the most mundane and boring ordinary tasks, that, that the responsibilities and the day-to-day things that we do that maybe don't seem glorious or sacred, God can use those things profoundly. He can work through us in influencing other people, and he can glorify himself through us in profound ways. Get a copy of it, Glory in the Ordinary. Hope, uh, hope this has been valuable for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address in a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Give me a shout. The email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or if you know someone that you think would be a great interview guest, I'd also love to hear from you. Shoot me an email to that same address. Hey, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. That'll guarantee every episode gets delivered directly to your device. And if you've been loving the podcast, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Those reviews are a big, big help to the show because they help us reach more people. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This has been Theology for the Rest of Us. (laughs) 